0: To the Bucks Film Room podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sampson, and you can find me on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. I write about the Milwaukee Bucks for Brew Hoop and Forbes Sports. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you listen. Just search for the Brew Hoop feed, and then you can find this Bucks Film Room podcast under there. It comes out every Thursday morning, so make sure to continue checking in. I greatly, greatly appreciate you guys. And it would also be swell if you could be so kind as to give us five stars and leave a little friendly review it helps the podcast become more noticeable on iTunes using whatever algorithms equations whatever they use that kind of stuff so we've been working now for about a month on individual player breakdowns and we're going to continue that today however today we are going to do two in one so you guys get two in one here we're going to be going through Thanasis, Adedakumbo, and Dragon Bender today. So we'll continue to follow that same format where we look at the player's strengths, weaknesses, and the best and worst case scenarios in the upcoming season. So let's start by going through Thanasis to begin with. Here are the basics. He he was a second-round pick, 51st overall back in the 2014 NBA draft when the New York Knicks selected him. However, he only played in two games in the NBA, averaged three minutes and three points, there's not much you can take away from just two games. Um, you know, so he spent the last two years playing in Greece. He put up underwhelming numbers, to say the least, there as well. Uh, just to give you a little snippet, last season he averaged 5.4 points, 3.7 rebounds, uh, all while playing 14 and a half minutes per game. I think two two stats that stood out the most was that he shot 18.8% from downtown and 47.5% from the free throw line. So let's just jump right into his game. We want to start with the positives like normal, so let's talk about his strengths. The biggest strengths that stick out are two things, his hustle and his athleticism. You know, he's a player who has a nonstop motor, who's going to be going 100%, 100% of the time. I think that, you know, when you're, when you're a fringe player, and we'll talk more about this, but when you're a fringe player, you need that hustle. You need that effort that's going to stick out in practice and really make you stick out above the rest. And so that's really who Thanasis is. Is He's that guy who's going to be giving it his all all the time, and he'll be diving into stands. He'll be diving on the floor for loose ball balls. He'll be really just, you know, giving everything that he got that's huge for him that's who he is as a person that's who he is as a player so that hustle is is one of his biggest strengths his his athleticism is also right up there you know they go hand in hand he has he has good leaping ability he has long arms he's so he's about six foot six however he has a seven foot wingspan and so i think that's really you know one of the things that helps him out a lot He's six 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 seven, but that seven foot wingspan really helps him out a lot. He's fast, he's mobile, he's agile. Uh, so that's really that athleticism can can go a long way for him. It allows him to block shots he otherwise wouldn't be able to block. He can throw down some dunks in traffic. Um, other things like that, you know, he can really make life difficult on the perimeter for opposing ball handlers. He really, that athleticism allows him to do a lot of different things in his game and it goes hand in hand with that hustle. Uh, theoretically, you know, he can defend multiple positions. We'll see how that works out in the NBA or if he's even given that chance. But on paper, at least, he can defend. The three and the four, given his size and ability, it it would probably be too much to ask him to defend twos or fives, but I think, you know, solidly he could handle guarding threes and fours that would be something that's really big for him and I think that would be another strength is just that ability to defend multiple positions it may seem like commonplace especially in today's NBA but it's still a valued trait and you still need that or a lot of guys need that to be able to get on the floor so it gives him a couple of different options at least defensively on what position he can play. And speaking of defense, as we have for most of this part with the Nassus is, you know, he's engaged defensively. He knows that's where he's going to make his bread and butter. He knows that's where, you know, he's got to really step up to the plate. And so I think that's something that he understands and he's engaged defensively because of it. He understands that's how he's going to make his money or how he's going to make an impact on this team. And so he's always engaged defensively. That's one of his biggest strengths. All right, so as far as weaknesses go, we talked about defense being a strength. Offense is a complete liability, even more so than his defense is a strength. He he can really only score from inside the paint or right at the basket. You know, some of those uncontested dunks, maybe even a little contesting, but other than that, you know, he just He's a complete offensive liability. Opposing teams are going to ignore him. He can't shoot from the three point line. His free throw numbers were awful, which does not indicate that he'll be able to improve his jump shot. He really, you know, his jump shot doesn't look that awful in watching the film and going back and looking at that, but it's just not consistent at all. He's not able to connect on a consistent basis. You know, he doesn't even really have that reliable jumper from the elbow or from, you know, anywhere outside of the paint. So I think that's going to be his most notable weakness is that complete offensive liability. We talked about his poor free throw shooting, how he only made 47.5%. In three years overseas, uh, his career high you could say for free throw percentage was fifty eight point seven percent. So that doesn't really bode well. You know, it's unsure, it's unclear if he can score. And I think that's just too big of a red flag to ignore. It's it's why he's he only played in two NBA games in his career. I think that's another weakness is he's probably not an NBA caliber player, just to be blunt, is he probably does not have a spot on this team unless his brother is Who he who his brother is. So I think, you know, it's people say it's a last roster spot, but it's still hard to ignore when you have that player who maybe does not deserve to be there based on basketball talent alone. We'll see how it plays out. I mean, he's an incredibly hard worker, and so I don't want to take that away from him. I just at this point, or just given his skills, he's just probably not an NBA caliber player. And that's okay for him, but just not for the Bucks as a team or a f- basketball organization. So I think, you know, just to talk about that is, is he can do some things all right on defense, but overall, this probably is not the league for him. I mean, he struggled to get consistent consistent minutes in Greece last season, so we'll see. We'll see what this looks like for him. I don't know how it will play out, but he's probably not an a caliber player. All right, so let's jump now into the best case scenario for Thanasis. I think, you know, best case scenario is he gets some playing time, I guess. I go back and forth on this. That's why I hesitate. Go back and forth. Best case for Thanasis or best case for the Bucks? Because like we've talked about for a couple of different players up to this point, they're probably completely different. Best case for Thanasis is he gets... He gets a lot of playing time or he gets some playing time. He gets to see the floor. He can defend multiple positions. He can go out there and show that he can adequately or above averagely, if that's even a word, defend the three and the four. And he uses his hustle and his athleticism to make an impact. He's blocking shots, flying in from the weak side. He's getting steals. He's getting some rebounds you know, he's able to use his cutting skills on offense. He was used a lot in the pick and roll as the roll man in Greece. And so he's able to do some of that in Milwaukee and get some lobs for dunks. He's able to start in the corner when his man completely ignores him like he will. He's able to cut baseline, get the ball and throw it down for a dunk. I think, you know, those are his best case scenarios. I think also the locker room accepts him for who he is and not why he's there, or potentially why he's there. I think that's another best-case scenario for him, and I think those things would all have to go well for him. As far as the Bucks, you know, Milwaukee's best-case scenario is that this guy never needs to play outside of garbage time. They have so much depth on their roster ahead of him that, you know, he will only be needed in an emergency situation, and even then, I don't know... If the Bucs would turn to him. So I think best case scenario for the Bucs as a team, as a franchise, is this guy's able to chill as you know, he doesn't dress most nights or any nights Um, he's the last man on the bench he's able to chill he's able to relax so I think that's the best case scenario for the Bucs is they're able to bring him in he doesn't end up hurting them you know they don't have uh, these illusions that he's going to help them but I think best case is he doesn't end up hurting them doesn't end up hurting their chemistry doesn't end up hurting what they're doing on the floor so I think that's really the best case scenario for the Milwaukee Bucks as a team worst case scenario uh, we'll we'll start with the Nassus as a player worst case scenario is he's forced into action and all these concerns come true or are even heightened you know he's a complete liability on offense teams just ignore him and he's not even able to cut to the basket or find those gaps he's not able to finish around the rim with any sort of consistency or efficiently he's you know just the opposing teams just completely sag off him they clog down that lane he's yeah, I think that would just be the worst case scenario, which I think is probably a likely scenario if he ever gets consistent playing time or needs to play consistently. is that's He's going to be hard to, I mean, you don't really necessarily want to hide someone on offense, but he's going to be hard to hide or to put on that floor and to blend with the other players on the court, I think. Another worst case scenario for him is that athleticism and that hustle that we talked about doesn't translate to the NBA level. We've seen it pan out on other levels, but not at the NBA. And I think worst case for him would be that it doesn't translate it. You know, he's not as quick and he's not as able to defend NBA-caliber players. He's not able to use his leaping ability or his wingspan to make an impact. He's not able to do other things that we've seen him do uh, overseas. So I think that would be another worst-case scenario for Thanasis. As far as worst-case scenario for the Bucks, it would be you know the opposite of the best-case scenario. So worst case is he is... Force into action. They need him to play on a regular basis. They probably will never need him to play north of 15, 20 minutes, but I think in this scenario, he's needed to play 10 to 15 minutes, and he he continues to just clog down the offense. He's not able to, you know, Boonhouser has to switch things up from last year. Last year, their five out offense mainly were because they had five shooters on the floor at almost all times or at all times. And so that wouldn't be the case with the NASA. So I think you know for worst case scenario that's kind of as bad as it gets for the bucks of course like i don't think anybody wants that where thanassis has to play consistent minutes like we said the bucks are so deep they have so many options at every just about every position that there would really it wouldn't just be one or two injuries it would probably be three or four injuries where he would be forced into action to play and so we'll see how this all goes out Um, as you can tell, I'm not the most optimistic about the signing or not the biggest fan at this point. It is what it is. Sometimes you got to bite the bullet in order to keep your superstar happy. I mean, Giannis is the best player in the world. It may feel dirty, but you got to do what you got to do at times. All right, so now we are going to move into Dragon Bender. We're going to break down his game. I know for Thanassus it was shorter than normal, but I think for each of these guys, you know, there's just not a lot to talk about. There's not a lot to go through. Um, and so we'll just move on here to Dragon Bender. So, Bender, of course, he's drafted fourth overall in the 2016 draft to the Phoenix Suns. Amazingly, he's still just 21. He'll turn 22 this year, but he's still just 21. He spent three years with the Sons, the 2017-18 campaign was probably his most encouraging. That's when he averaged six and a half points a game, 4.4 rebounds, and 1.6 uh, assists. And most notably, he also shot 36.6% from the three-point line on 3.9 attempts per game. So let's just use that to transition right into our strength. So strength. The biggest thing that sticks out with him is he's 7 1, and he has the potential to spread the floor and be a three point shooter. And that I say potential, I you know, really stick on that word is because we haven't necessarily seen it come true. Yes, he had the 2017-18 season where it was the 36.6% or whatever. However, he has not done anything with his other two seasons. He shot 27.7% his rookie year and then 21.8% last year. So that's a huge step backward. He has a beautiful looking stroke. It's nice. It's fluid. It goes well together. And so, That potential is there on the other end of the spectrum. I know we're talking about um strengths, but his free throw percentage, which is sometimes indicative of how a player will continue to develop, his free throw percentage is not the best. He shoots or has shot 64.7 percent over his career, that has been really up and down. Like, he shot 36 percent his rookie year, 76.5 percent. Uh, his second year, and then 59% his third year. So that's really just up, down, all over the place. But that strength is he has the potential to be a catch-and-shoot three-point threat. He's never going to be somebody who can even do what Lopez did last year a little bit off the bounce. He's strictly going to be catch-and-shoot. He's going to be that big man that can stand on the perimeter in the Bucks five-man offense. If his guy sags to help or loses um, focus, or interest or whatever he can be there to help make them pay for that catch the ball shoot it that's about all that he can do um, which is good I don't want to minimize that we're in the strengths category I don't want to minimize that that's a huge asset that's a huge skill that the Bucks were looking for and probably one of the main reasons why they signed him Another strength is so at seven foot one, he moves fairly well. This goes with his smooth shot from the three point line, but he moves fairly well both laterally and has good quickness and agility. So that's something that, you know, is interesting to see him out there. He's not going to be the most dominant leaper, he's not going to jump out of the gym and throw down on somebody. But as far as the action on the court goes, and His feet are concerned. He has pretty nice feet there moving forward, and he's able to slide them. He's able to stay in front of his man. He's able to, you know, really he has good lateral quickness. I think his last strength is his unselfish play. He's not... A lot of times um, when you have a top pick, they might be somebody who has been a scorer their whole life who dominates the ball who doesn't necessarily have that that great understanding not saying that this is all or even a lot of high picks but just sometimes that's what you get but that's not the case with Bender at all he's very unselfish he has a high basketball IQ. He understands when to make that extra pass. And I think that'll fit nicely in the Bucks' offense. They like to keep the ball moving. They like to keep it crisp. You know, you don't really have time to pass on the perimeter, hold on to it, dissect the defense for a second or two, and then continue the pass. You know, you got to make those quick decisions like that. And he'll fit right in with that. He, you know, he's not going to make all these great dimes or, you know, drop all these beautiful passes. But I think just as far as keeping the ball moving And understanding his role in the offense, I think that'll be a huge part for him. Moving on to weaknesses lack of strength. That's one of his biggest weaknesses. He gets pushed around a ton. You know, he gets pushed around on defense, down on the block, on the boards, and that really affects his ability to make an impact in the paint. Even though he's 7-1, he's not going to get a ton of blocks. He's not going to get a ton of rebounds. Uh Bucks fans are used to that now with Brook Lopez, but he's not going to have that same impact that Lopez has on the boards. Lopez does a great job of using his big body and his strength to box out the opposing team's best rebounder. and Lopez does a great job at that. You won't see Bender doing that. Bender gets pushed around far too often. He gets slid way too deep under the basket where he can't use his length to make an impact. So I think that is, you know, one of his biggest weaknesses is he just needs to put on that muscle. I, I haven't seen him this season, so I don't know what that looks like, but I, it would be hard to imagine that he's put on a ton of muscle. His body frame doesn't necessarily support that the best, but I think that's just his biggest, lack of, his biggest weakness is his lack of strength. It affects his ability to play defense on the block, you know, against somebody like Joel Embiid. Uh, if he were to defend Giannis, he would just get bumped right out the way and it affects his rebounding. He's not the best rebounder. He's not going to make a huge impact on the boards. You know, his best rebounding numbers were eight rebounds per 36 minutes, which isn't awful, but I think that, you know, it's a small sample size, and also that that lack of strength is really just going to impact him there. His inconsistent shot is another weakness. It's something that he... He needs to work on, you know, as a that was his whole thing coming into the NBA, is being this seven-footer who can. Who can bomb away from the outside, and that hasn't necessarily he hasn't lived up to that billing at all. His career three-point percentage is just 32.1%. So that's not where it needs to be. It needs to be up another at least four or five percentage points. So that inconsistency is has been huge for him, you know, just from season to season, game to game, week to week. It's it's kind of all over the place, and he really needs to find that consistency. So that that has really been a weakness for him. His free throw numbers are not encouraging, like we talked about in that department. I mean, sixty-four point seven percent career average from the from the charity stripe. You know, it's not the worst. It's not as bad as Thanasis, but if you're going to be a shooter and you want to be a shooter and that's your game, you know, you got to kind of step it up in all in all areas. I think his other weakness is just, I think. He, he's not going to be a great shot blocker. It's not like the Bucks necessarily need him to be a great shot blocker, but he's not going to be that guy who can protect the paint. He's going to be more of that of that guy who can defend the bigger fours and fives on the perimeter. That will be his role, so he's not going to get a ton of block shots or really many at all, even given his size of 7 foot 1. So I think that would be another weakness for him. All right, so moving into best case scenario for Bender. Oh, Uh, so I'm just thinking like, so he plays the same position as DJ Wilson. There are so many DJ Wilson supporters out there. Best case for Bender would be that he somehow eclipses Wilson on the depth chart. I'm not exactly sure how that, well, how that would happen would be that Wilson takes a step back in his three-point shooting. He had some he had some success last year talking about Wilson from behind the arc. He, Wilson was a great defensive player, a good above average defensive player last year for the Bucs. That would have to take a step back. So if Wilson takes a step back somehow, for some reason, I'm not saying this would happen or it's even likely to happen, but if for some reason Wilson struggles, Bender is able to hit that three ball with consistency. He's able to prove he can be another threat. You know, you put Bender and Lopez on the court together. There's two seven-footers who can shoot from behind the arc if... If, big if, Bender can find that consistency, I think that's a best case scenario is, you know, you're not going to see him shoot 40%, 39%, but I think best case is he touches 37% or he's right around like that league average, like 36%. I think that would be a best case for Bender. He's able to show off his good lateral quickness. He's able to, you know, move and defend guys on the perimeter. He's able to defend some of those smaller fours. He puts on he, he he adds a good amount of core strength, which allows him to be more of a force or at least not be a complete pushover down low and on the boards. I think that would those would all be best case scenarios for Bender. As for the Bucks, you know, it would be hard to see him getting on the floor. Like we talked about, you know, with the Nassus. The Nasus is behind Bender on the depth chart, most likely, and but that still means that there's Giannis at the four, there's DJ Wilson at the four, there's Urson Ilyasova at the four. If you want to slide him over to the five, that's both Brooke and Robin Lopez. So, you know, there's it's blocked. It's three deep ahead of Bender at power forward. It's two deep ahead of him at center. And the Bucks will probably even use maybe Giannis at center. I don't know about that, but they'll use Urson and they could use Wilson at center at times as well. So you know, it's three three deep in front of him at center as well. So for the Bucks, the best case would be he's able to provide, you know, some nice time when guys like Ursan are getting a break. or Ursan gets hurt every year. You know, that's kind of the player he, that he is just with his hustle. You know, he'll probably end up breaking his nose for the 94th time this season. And so Wilson's able to step in, but Bender is able to provide some minutes too. If Brooke and Robin need any rest, he's able to provide some, you know, just – minutes that don't kill the team i don't think he's going to be this huge plus even in the best of scenarios but he's just able to provide replacement level minutes where he's not singled out where he's not hurting the team He's able to do some rebound. I think that's the best case scenario for Bender, just being realistic. You know, he has potential down the road to be a role player. I don't know if his ceiling is much higher than a role player at this point in his career, but I think for this year, like, you got to take baby steps. He's got to prove that he deserves to be in this league. Right now, that's questionable. You know, with the way that the. His contract is structured with the Bucks. He has so many trigger dates where it's only guaranteed until this time, and then it's guaranteed until this time, and then a little bit more till this time. And so he's just gotta take it, you know, one of those dates at a time, and we'll see we'll see how far that gets him. As for his worst case scenarios, I think you know we've already seen his worst case scenario play out maybe last year in Phoenix. He shoots 20%, 22% from the arc. He struggles from the free throw line. He's a liability on defense. He continues to get pushed around and he can't use his lateral quickness like he would want to. He is unable to help the Bucks on the boards. I think that's worst case for him. He gets buried on the depth chart. Maybe Thinastis passes him on the depth chart for some reason if they both end up making the team. I think that would be worst case for him. He, He finds himself not dressing most nights which I think will be the case Regardless, I think it will be Thanasis and Bender to two of the guys who won't dress most often. But I think that would just be worst case for him. He's not able to show in games that he can even begin to crack the rotation. I think that's really, you know, his worst nightmare. As, as for the Bucks, I think worst case scenario would be that he is forced into some action. He does is required to play like we talked about with the NASA's, like he is required to play like 15 minutes a game and that three-point shot still isn't there. He gets bumped around on the boards. He's not able to bang with the other seven footers in the league. He, you know, really hurts Milwaukee in that way. I think that would be worst case for the Bucks. It'll be interesting to see how this all plays out with the depth chart with him and with the Nassus and how that all looks out, but I think, you know, worst case for Milwaukee is that either guy is forced into action. That's not to say anything about, I think, so I was going to say it's not to say anything about either player, but it is to say anything about both players. It's like they don't necessarily want him on the court. This is a team with championship aspirations, and team with championship aspirations don't have these two players or these two caliber players playing consistent minutes and Milwaukee has set the team up where these guys are the last two on their, on their roster. They're the last two guys that they would expect to play. There would have to be a lot that goes wrong or a lot of injuries that happen. If these, if either one of these two guys are going to see consistent minutes and Not to end on a low note, but I think that is where we will end. I really appreciate you guys tuning in today. Make sure to check in next week. We'll continue to go through these. I'm trying to lock up a pretty nice guest next week. And hopefully we can talk about some analytics, some Chris Middleton, Eric Butzo type stuff. So make sure to tune in next week. I'm pretty excited about that. I'm about to lock him in. We'll see if it works. Um, So that's all I have for you today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget you can follow me on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. I hope to catch you next time.